You're listening to the Photo Up Podcast, where we're covering photography, marketing, and business from all sides of the industry. I'm your host, New York wedding photographer, marketer, and resident sleepy person, Megan Brookelman. Welcome back to the Photo Op Podcast. Today we're chatting with retired forensic photographer for the FBI and photographer for the Air National Guard, Dawn Hester. She now photographs macros, landscapes, branding, and portraits, and also hosts the Photography Adventures podcast. So welcome, Dawn. Thank you. Nice being here. Thank you so much for being here. So tell us a little about you. How did you kind of get started in photography? Well, it's not one of those stories where I had a family member had a camera and I followed them everywhere I went, you know, or sat on somebody's knee and just got thrilled about photography. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a job. That's it. I, I just needed a job. You know, um, while I was in high school, my mother was a single parent and I know she wouldn't be able to afford to send me to college. And I knew I had to find some work. So I took the ASVAD test for the military and I didn't do well. I said, okay, that's, that's okay. So, but I did well enough to go into Air National Guard. So I went up there and talked to a recruiter and they have a list of um, jobs that you can, or careers you can get into based on your, your points that you, you know, did on ASVAT. So I was going through the list and I saw photography. I said, okay, that's cool. So I signed up for the photography class. And then after I went to tech school and came back, I still needed a full-time job because it's only one weekend a month, 15 days a year. So I was looking through the local newspaper and the FBI was advertising. I said, okay, I'll apply for the FBI. And it takes like, you know, six to eight months to do the background check. And I knew it would be hard because I was fresh out of high school and I really didn't have a criminal record, thank goodness. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, that happened. I started in the mailroom and did a, a, a photography position opened up in their photography lab. I applied and because of the background of the Air National Guard. I was able to get into the photography side of FBI. And then it just went from there. Wow. So let's let's talk about forensic photography. What does it entail? You know, a lot of times people think it's just dead people, but it's not. You know, it's like um, matching edges of maybe a piece of wood or it might be um, shoe images, shoe prints from any type of uh, object, like on a tile floor or frame. If there's a shoe impression on anything, they'll send it in and we have to figure out how to photograph it. Or you have a lot of forgery. So it's a little bit like, and every now and then, now and then we used to do body parts, maybe a hand or someone's cheek, things like that, but not actually the full thing like you see on CSI. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what kind of equipment were you using to photograph these different things? Were you using special lenses or lighting? Tell me more. Oh, my gosh. Um, we had eight, in the studio, we had eight by 10 cameras. We had four by five cameras. Um, we had 35. We had the 120 cameras. When we went out and did crime scenes at the time, mostly we used with the 120 cameras. Lenses were just whatever lenses we had for the particular camera. But we used a lot of filters. So it all depend on once you did your examination, what worked with work with what, and then you go and photograph it to enhance whatever they want off the um, evidence. And I'm sure a lot of it is kind of, you know, scientific and formulaic, but was there kind of any creative strategizing on how you would photograph different 
different things in general? Well, a lot of our um, photographs, it was, it was like long exposures. For example, we had a examiner and he thought maybe if he was, if we were able to photograph the feet impressions inside of a shoe, that he might be able to match that with maybe a pair of shoes that he had or something like that. So I remember working on that case and, you know, maybe a long exposure, like overnight, maybe put on an orange filter and all depend on what black and white film that we use. We use color film, we use black and white film, we use infrared film. So it, it was like a, almost like a hit or miss, but you kind of had an ideal where to start. And you always start from the easiest task and then you work your way up to the most difficult task. So what were what were some of the more difficult tasks that you faced? Um, it all depends, say, if sidelighting. Sidelighting is when, say, like if somebody wrote something on a piece of paper and you recover that pa the paper underneath of that one, we try to sidelight it to enhance what was on that first page because that's the only thing you had. So that sometimes that was difficult. Or we used to uh, photograph char paper. The examiners had to try to put the paper together and then they would bring it over. And since it's fragile because it's char paper, you had to be extra careful because you didn't want to crumble it up any more than what it is or was. So it, it, it just it just all depends on... Um, what it, it, a lot of times it might be if you're on a crime scene and if you had to photograph inside of a vehicle down underneath where the gas pedal and, and the brake was, well, that's kind of awkward because you're trying to get down underneath of there. And at the time we might be shooting with Mamiya's and the Mets flash. So you have to have an extra hand to hold the flash for you. So that's my mm -hmm. off, off camera flash technique, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's, it, it, I don't know if it was difficult it was just it's almost like a game find out what worked to get what you need from the evidence and a lot of times like um, um say like white out if you white out something how can you photograph that do you do it backlit or do you do a side lighting or we had this little chemical called liquid window where we get permission from the agent and he said yeah go ahead and use it because you have you done everything else to see what worked you put the liquid window on it, but you only had like a split second to put it on, go back and shoot it real quick because the liquid window would dry so quickly. And what did, what, sorry, what does the liquid window do? It's, it's, it drops the white out from on top of the letters or the numbers and it only cleared it up for a couple seconds because it would dry so quickly. So you oh had my to, gosh. yeah, so you had to think about it. You had to uh, like set it up, get it kind of pre-focused. And then you put the liquid window on it real quick. You go back, you hit the shutter, and hopefully you got it. Oh my gosh! So still, there's yeah. kind of there's kind of some intense stuff going on. Yes, and, and my trainee was like on the job training. Um, I had a supervisor that I had a thick notebook of everything he taught me, and I carried that notebook everywhere because it was so much to learn. And the first thing when I start doing forensic, I had to learn how to print ugly. What does that mean? Well, when we was in, when I was in the uh, photo processing unit, that was a big unit that would print every every type of film that come in. We would print, we would print, print, print. Or say if you printing a um, portrait, but you want the portrait to be pretty, right? Mm -hmm. So now, if I'm photographing a 
tire impression, I'm not thinking about pretty. I'm thinking about enhancing that photograph so it can match that tire. So when the examiners look at that photograph, they can see all the cuts and everything in that photograph as it was on that tire. So gotcha. I had to learn. Yeah. So it took me like three or four months to teach me how to print ugly. <laughs> so you're so you're kind of looking at, you know, the crime scene or whatever is being specifically pointed out to you. And you're not you're not necessarily thinking of like composition so much as like, how can we photograph this in the most like straightforward fashion that right, right. helps people? Okay. Exactly. It was all about getting what we have to get, you know, for the, for the ever to enhance the evidence for the examiner. Oh my goodness. And if you were, if you were directed to a crime scene, then would you just kind of take the lead and figure out what needed to be photographed or would people just point to different things and say like, please shoot that? Um, at first, I would go and photograph the overall scene. I mean, they just let me go do what I had to do. And I would go and photograph the overall scene. And then as they go and start doing their searches, if they see something, they'll call me back. I put a ruler in, take a photograph with the ruler. So if we have to print one-on-one later on, we have the ruler to print one-on-one. So that's how that works. Okay. And then I also want to dive into the Air National Guard because I honestly have no idea what kind of photography that would entail. So can you tell me a little more about it? Well, the Air National Guard, we photograph basically everything that went on at the base. We did promotions. uh, We did retirements. We also went out with certain units as they went and did, um, say, like civil engineering, if they went to another unit and built uh, barracks. We document that. So we did a lot of documentation and also whatever happened on the base, we documented all that. Okay. So most of it was like documentary or mm-hmm. were you portraits or anything like that? Yeah. But, and the portraits we called official photographs because when officers was getting promoted, part of their promotion package was a photograph of them in their uniform. So oh. when they came to us, their uniform had to be the way it's supposed to be. Everything had to be tight, the right ribbons and the right location. We make sure there was no dust or anything on their uniform. We dust them off if you saw anything and everything had to be perfect. And that was part of their promotion package. Okay. It sounds like a lot of the work that you have previously done, you know, it's very like structured and yes. everything has to be like perfect and crisp and <laughs> yes, and detailed. And that was it. Just this way and that way and nothing else. Do you feel like kind of your previous experiences have have now informed how you're shooting your macros, your landscapes, your portraiture? I want to hear kind of how you merge those two worlds and how they're different. Well, my first year uh, after I retired, I called it my honeymoon year because I was trying to adjust (laughs) of not doing anything for 39 years. You know, all of a sudden you got all this free time. Mm-hmm. And, and what I did, I did the 365 project and I called it a photograph a day. And I went out with my camera and just shot. And I was telling myself all along, you know, think outside the box. You have no restrictions. You can do anything you want. You know, it's, it's your time to do, to photograph the way you want to photograph. And I had to tell myself that all the time. But my structure is still there, which is good. You know, I care about how everything looks. I make sure that all my prints are even, you know, I make sure there's no dust or anything. I mean, it was, when when I was doing forensic, I had a supervisor and the, the negative had to be straight. There would be no smudges, no lint. 
your prince, the borders had to be even. If they were crooked, he wouldn't accept it. So I still do those structures because it's my name on it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's me. You know, I want this is me. So I still got my structure, but now I don't have to rush. I could take my time. There's no clock, you know, so I'm out here having fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it it should be. But how did you how did you stay inspired? How did you claw your way kind of out of that box after so long of having such, you know, a structured kind of workflow? And I think that first year helped me because I went out and photographed something every day and just basically going shoot whatever. If even if I was sitting in the house and I didn't feel like doing anything, I'd grab my phone and take a photograph of my feet and the TV and behind it or something. But I also, when I would go out and shoot, I still was teaching myself, you know, depth to feel. Uh, do I, you know, do I want it wide open? Am I going to focus on this or that? You know, and I still thought about my composition. So, yeah. you know, it just loosening up a little bit. Not everything needs to be F-16 and perfectly lit. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, and I still learn. Now we got the database, you know, the metadata. You look back and like, what I do wrong? You know, and I can go back and try to correct it. And I still learning from other people. I still go and watch tutorials and read little articles here and there because I'm still learning, still learning because I enjoy it. Yeah. And can we talk a bit about how you kind of, was there any emotional preparation involved for the work, specifically like the forensic photography? Because I'm sure you came across some heavy stuff from time to time. Um, well, okay. So when I was learning in the studio, like I said, my supervisor, Danny King, rest his, you know, rest his soul. Um, it was like I was in school. I followed him and he taught me how to do that. And then when he started letting me go out and shoot in the studio, he'd be there watching as I'm, you know, mm-hmm. trying to learn, teach myself. Um, we go, when I, before he let me do a crime scene, I went up with him. And when mm-hmm. we did crime scene, we had a photo log. We wrote down every frame that we shot, you know, cause at the time we were still shooting a lot of film too. So every frame we wrote down a photo log, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, this, this. So I would hold his photo log, write everything down. And as he was shooting the crime scene, he told me what was going on, why he did this. And then the next crime scene, I went out and I shot everything. He did my law to make sure I knew what I was doing. And then the next one, he let me go on my own. And that was scary. Because, you know, you don't have that person to fall on. It's like you, because when you go out and do these, these crime scenes and stuff, a lot of times it's just you. And if, mm-hmm. if, if there's you and another photographer, you split. You don't mm-hmm. work together. And that's another thing, even though I was in the studio with other guys or other photographers, we didn't work together unless it was a, um, a special that we had to get a pr- top priority, had to get it done right away. But other than that, we all be out doing our own thing. So, you know, that first time he let me go, it was me. And so the people that I went out with, they didn't know me. I didn't know them, but I knew I had a job to do. That's totally fair. Yeah. And for up-and-coming photographers who might be in those shoes, do you have any advice on kind of breaking into these very specific photography niches? <laughs> Ooh, um, if you can get into some type of law enforcement photography, and if you're being trained by somebody, listen to what they have to say, do as they say, and maybe later on you can find a different way of doing it. But just mm-hmm. listen to what they say 
and just take notes, you know, write down everything because you can't keep it in mind. It's too much to keep in your There's no way. It's just so much. But listen to them. And if later on, you can find a different way to shoot it and you can justify it and tell them why you shot it this way and you got the same thing, they probably say, okay. But at the beginning, you know, just sit back and listen to them and, and learn something because you're going to learn something from them. Okay. And then if someone wanted to, you know, they're they're leaving their high school experience or they're in college right now, and they kind of dream about being a forensic photographer or something like that. Do you have any advice on building a portfolio or if is there even is a way to build a portfolio? <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that's, that's tough. I mean, unless you find, unless you find a, maybe a local police department that you can work for without being a policeman or maybe a hospital that um, needs forensic photographers, Go that route. Um, I I don't know if you can show them some portfolio work based on that, but maybe have a f- portfolio or something show them that you know about photography. Yeah, maybe something like something like very detailed photography or something yeah. like that, yeah. where you're capturing a lot of like texture. I'm just I'm trying to think of of what a forensic photo really entails, you know. And it's funny, it was not funny, but one thing, we always had to separate the blacks, you know, because you got so many different shades of blacks. If they could build a portfolio and have some images where you got different shades of blacks and you could see the difference, you know, that might help too. And print big, you know, print at least 11 by 14 on up. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't make them squint to, you know, see what you're trying to see. Give them 11 by 14 and just... So they can sit back like, wow. Okay. And, and you specifically mentioned the, the black tones in the images. Can you kind of expand on that? Um, I remember when I applied for the forensics, we had to take a test. And I don't know if people still remember the grayscale from the black all the way to the white. I had to shoot the grayscale on the four, on eight by 10. And I had to print it. So when I print it, I had to show all of those shades from white all the way up to black. And that was hard because I had to I had to shoot it right first. Mm-hmm. So if you can start learning how to see the different shades of blacks, it will help a big, you know, say if you're doing an autopsy, right? And maybe some there's some burnt objects you might have to separate those burnt objects for the examiner to see. So detail and color and tone, they really, really matter here. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, and and you you have to learn how to shoot. And I'm not trying to be smart, but sometimes you got to take it off aperture or shutter, whatever you shoot, and shoot manual. Mm -hmm. You really have to. And I think for us back in the day, it was all film. So it's like, okay... We don't have no port at the at the end we had Polaroid back, but normally that just give you an idea if you're getting it. But you had to figure out how to use your camera. So you gotta take it off the program and aperture and learn how to shoot manual and just, you know, if you're shooting film now, get a meter and let your meter be your friend and learn how the meter works. Mm-hmm. And if and if you get to process your own film, which would be great, because now you can have control of your film versus sending out to a company and hoping that they process your film correctly. That's one thing I have, I still have some black and white. Uh, I still have some cameras 
And I did shoot a couple rows of black or white, but I haven't sent them off yet. And the hard thing is because I don't have control in processing that film. And I think my whole my whole entire career, I processed all my film. Okay. And did you ever did you ever make the switch to digital before retiring, or were you primarily using film? We switched um, to the Nikon. I, I guess what late nineties. Something like that. I think the the digital start coming out maybe in the two thousands. So yes, I did uh, switch and we shot with Nikon. So yeah, I did have chance to play with uh, a lot of uh, Nikon digital. We had to make sure we go out and do a crime scene if we could separate all those blacks. But now with the ISO and everything gotten so much better, it's like a piece of cake now. But at the beginning, it wasn't as good as it is now. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that was kind of a bizarre transition yeah. uh, in the early days of digital. I I wanted to ask because I'm sure, you know, shooting forensic photography on film, that's got to be kind of high pressure because, you know, you, you can't really check your shots. And I'm sure a lot of those things can only be photographed like at the time that you find them. Yes. When we went out to crime scenes, um, we had Mamiya cameras and, and the Mets and you just had bricks of film. You come back and you process your own film by hand. You didn't take it down to the other unit and let them process it by machine because if machine had a bad day and jam, there you are. You know, you might oh like you go ahead, just walk out the door because you know you all your <laughs> all your work is done. So we come back, we process everything by hand. So did you was, did you ever run into those kinds of issues where maybe like the film the film development didn't work out or something? No, because I think when I got to forensic, <laughs> you're they must have had a little, yeah, they must have had a little oops somewhere because they said, "Oh, you do it by hand." I said, "Okay." <laughs> I didn't ask That's why. Fair. So somebody hit a hook somewhere. <laughs> it's just like there um, had, yeah. This one example, this guy, um, he was shooting Hasselblad, and with the Hasselblad, you know, it was so many different things you had to unlock or something to take a lens off. And he was out shooting a crime scene, and I guess he didn't hit the right switch or something, and the lens jammed. So he had to use that lens on that camera the whole time. So when he came oh back, God. yeah, when he came back that oops, it was like, okay, everybody get two cameras. <laughs> <laughs> two cameras, everybody carry t- two cameras. If your favorite really? lens is this, carry two of those. I mean, it's like boom, 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 because you can't afford that. That is totally fair. I mean, it's not even remotely the same world, but when we're shooting weddings, we always carry two cameras yeah. because We've all had we've all had one oops, or we've heard of the one oops, and we're not and up like, for it, you know. Now, one oops I did have, I guess I can say it now. I um, it was film, and I went on a crime scene, and I was I, I was shooting. And I'm like something ain't right, and I looked. I didn't have no film, so what? I casually I casually just I, it was just right at the beginning when I start shooting. So I could casually with my bag, turn my back, put some film in there, and I went back and redid it real quick. Do 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 do, you know. <laughs> I said, oh, oh my, my god, talk about sweat like going down your back and try to be calm about it. Oh my gosh, no one ever had to know, <laughs> no, like, and, and nobody gonna listen to this anyway. So you know. <laughs> and said, oh my goodness I said something don't sound right I said, yeah you have no film in that camera oh my gosh that is wild <laughs> I, I'm glad you could be sneaky and just you know slip just, it in there yeah, just casually like 
Because <laughs> everybody was doing their thing anyway. And a lot of times photographers, they don't worry about you because they know what you have to do. They just leave you alone. I love it. And yeah. and let's talk about, you know, a little bit more about how your background in forensic photography and the National Guard photography kind of impacts how you're shooting right now. So tell me what your favorite thing is to shoot, why you're loving it. Oh, well, you know, years ago, I thought, ah, I'm going to be a wedding photographer because all my friends were wedding photographers. I did a couple of my, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Hats off to all wedding photographers. I have nothing against you. God bless you. But it's a lot of work, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, but, you know, and. We used to, you know, like the guys I used to work with, they used to build their own 8x10 cameras. And they'd go out and shoot and come back, process the film. And, you know, it's a really beautiful landscapes. I mean, so I got into the landscapes a little bit. And I think with macro is because I used to shoot a lot of macro work. So now I get to do it for play. Ooh. And the infrared, we used to shoot a lot of infrared at work, 8x10 infrared. And I always wanted to get into it. And I had a film camera and I bought some infrared, but I never went and got the red filter and all that good stuff. And then like last year, year for last, I, you know what? I really like infrared. I need to get back into it. So I started doing a, some research and they were saying certain lenses work with infrared or you had this hot spot. And I started thinking, I said, huh, no wonder all our film had a hot spot. The lens we were using probably didn't work for that, but it worked for us for what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And you, so you start laughing. You say, oh, okay. So I love doing infrared because it's in the middle of the day. Nobody's out there but me. You know, I don't have to worry about photographers getting in my way. So, and, it, and I said macro, I like macro because I can do macro here, you know, sitting in the house, I can do macro. Mm-hmm. You know, but every now and then I do like to tweak into shooting portraits, maybe some branding, but no weddings. <laughs> Just hard pass on the weddings. That's fair. <laughs> I'm too old for that. Somebody else had that all day and a headache and all that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, and then my final question, let's talk about photography adventures. What inspired you to start a photography podcast? Oh, my! I was sitting here and every now and then I get taught of music. So I wanted to listen to a podcast and um, I said, but I start finding some, I said, huh, that seemed like something I could do podcast. And I was talking to a friend about it and I'm like, ah, she got too much on her plate anyway. And I'm one of these people, if I think about something, I'll dig into it and see if I can do it or not. So I got a Mac. So I pulled up the garage band. I said, yeah, I played with this before. So I tutorial. I said, well, yeah, I could do podcasts. So I start playing. I had my own music because I made it for school years ago and I still had a little eight seconds music. And mm-hmm. then I got, I got my Bose earbuds. I'm like, well, heck, I could do this. But it was so <laughs> boring. So I dropped in my little, my little music in the background. So I, do, <laughs> I, <laughs> I write some blogs. I, I read one of my blogs and I sent it to two different photographers I know and they don't know each other. I said, what y'all think about this? You think I got a chance? They said, man, that's really neat. You should try. I'm like, really? I said, oh, okay, yeah, y'all say anything. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I just, I reached out to my cousin because he does you know, podcasts and he helped me out and everything. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'll just start off and just talk about me and, and my career and see what happens. 
I mean, yeah, you've got so much interesting stuff to say. I can't believe we're already at the half an hour point. Oh my gosh, I don't even talk. <laughs> I just feel, I feel like I could keep going and going, but I, I can't take up too much of your time. So let our listeners know where they can find you. Thank you. Uh, my website is dawndhester.com. My Twitter is dawnhester58. IG is dawndhester. And my blog is ddhester.wordpress.com. And listen to Dawn on Photography Adventures. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dawn. This was very insightful. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Photo Op Podcast. If you liked this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review and let me know what you liked and what you want to hear more of. Also head on over to the Facebook community and participate in some conversation with fellow photographers. If you want to reach me directly, feel free to DM me at Megan Brookelman, which is linked in the show notes as well. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in a flash.